res. We are normally having an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate, but as you know, if you've been listening to our show for a while, occasionally Ethan and I like to do what we call bonus episodes, where something has come across one of our radars and we just become fixated on it and we have to have a discussion about just how awful this new thing is. I think, uh, Ethan, what we started this with AOC's Green New Deal, yep, right? and that was episode three. We've been doing bonus episodes forever. Yeah, it's <laughs> sometimes we just hit these things. We had bonus episodes before we even had episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are having a bonus episode on something I read last week. Uh, it is entitled Seattle Public Schools K-12 Math Ethnic Studies Framework. This is a fascinating document uh, that is... Uh, uh, being currently tested in Seattle, and they're currently debating about whether or not Seattle should put this in place across all of their school systems. Uh, it's currently being proposed as a voluntary framework. However, um, I, I suspect, and I'll, be, I'll lean on some other voices here in a moment to see if they, they think this is true, voluntary frameworks have a way of becoming mandatory over time. So I suspect if this is accepted as a voluntary framework, we're only a few years away from this becoming the math framework for Seattle Public Schools. But what we're talking about here, then, of course, is a, an ethnic studies approach to mathematics. And this strikes me as particularly bizarre, and I wanted to have a conversation about it. So I asked Ethan and some other teachers on staff uh, if Ethan and I could uh, run a, uh, a, an episode where we're having more of a faculty roundtable discussion. So rather than Ethan and I doing resolution analysis today, uh, we're joined by Alexis Franco. Hi. Thank you. Yes, that was your cue. I'm sorry, I didn't hand that off very well. Uh, Tyler Bonin. Hello. Who's our, a longtime guest and uh, resident expert analyst. And of course, uh, Dr. Will Begley. Hi. Who, uh, Dr. Begley's been on a couple of our uh, debate episodes. And uh, I know at some point you wanted to do a debate episode on uh, whether or not PhDs should use their titles, right? Yes. And I'm a, I'm a firm no on this. And I'm a little, little peeved you introduced me as Dr. Will Begley and everybody else just is. I, well, you are the only one in the circle with a doctorate. And if we were in Spain, you would have a, you would be a lord. So I'm just going to honor your potential nobility by referring to you as Dr. Begley, at least to the We're the show. podcast audience who doesn't actually go here. We do refer to you to Josh as Lord Herring around the halls, mostly to distinguish him from Lady Herring. But. Well, yes, my wife insists that the title really is not, not Lord Herring. <laughs> uh, and of course, we've got Ethan as co-host. Hey. So, uh, real quick, before we get into our discussion, uh, could we, we start uh, just with uh, quickly introduce yourselves and uh, list your credentials, not necessarily your titles, uh, since Dr. Begley has insisted he doesn't care about his. Uh, but particularly your credentials and like what you have taught, and that, I think that'll help lend some credibility. Alexis, you want to kick you us off? You want me to there? start? So I teach high school Spanish um, currently, and I'm also certified to teach mathematics for five through nine. So I think I may have something to say about this. Excellent. Uh, I'm a humanities teacher. I have taught literature, history, and philosophy and speech and debate for several years. And I keep thinking that I am done studying math and discovering that whatever degree program I'm in has one more math class I have to take. So I'm, I'm a longtime math student who is very rarely successful in math. So I would love for my failure to actually be someone else's fault. Um, so I've taught history in the past. Uh, currently, I teach economics and college preparation. And I've also taught economics at the college level to future educators. Uh, I teach Latin. I would love to teach English literature at some point. That's one of my deep loves, and I will happily teach it until people tell me to go away. But 
Um, I have never taught math, although I did love math at school. It was unrequited love, but I did love math at school. <laughs> and I am a junior in high school that is currently learning, <laughs> currently learning calculus and Spanish from Ms. Franco, um, economics from Mr. Bonnet in ninth grade, and I have listened to debates from Dr. Begley, although I don't have him for any particular classes. So, not much there, but I do do math, so. And if I'm right, Ethan, am I right in thinking you're in AP Calc? AP Calc, that's right. Does it make you feel oppressed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. <laughs> so, well. <laughs> so I, I, I put out on Facebook a week ago that I was a link to this document and told people that I thought this was bizarre, that this is where social justice has entered into math on the, on the West Coast. And I had three friends who I will not name, but uh, if anyone is uh, following, my Facebook profile is pretty public, so this conversation is also pretty public. Uh, you could, uh, we, we had a lengthy discussion on a Facebook wall where these three friends who were all humanities PhD students, uh, they, they were all leaping to the defense of the math ethnic studies framework. So I thought we'd start off with uh, uh, probably a, a dual question. First off, uh, what is this thing? And secondly, what was your initial reaction to this thing? I do have a quick question about what it actually is. Is this a separate, would math ethnic studies be a separate course or is this designed to be incorporated into whatever the math class is in the K through 12? So I read an article today that said that it was going to be incorporated in addition to the current math standards. Uh -huh. so, so it's added to added math to, okay. Right. Because there's actually nothing mathematical about this. There is no math in here. I mean, I think a lot of it too, like as you're saying, was uh, again reading about it earlier today was that it's intended to provide a pool of resources for teachers to be able to incorporate these ethnic studies questions into their curriculum. So, if it's intended to provide those resources, let's let's back up to the what is it? Anybody help me with a just a succinct? I'm assuming some of our audience will see this and. Maybe they'll click the link that we'll put to this document in the show description. But what is it exactly? Aside from bizarre, I'm not sure. It's, it's honestly just like a general framework. So you were telling me about your view on this earlier, where the school would just give this to teachers, and this is a general mindset that mathematics is supposed to go along with. Although I do see a lot of contradiction between this framework and mathematics as we, or as literally every other school in the nation currently teaches it. So. I think that's, yep. that's well put. We're, we're looking at a, uh, it's a four-page spreadsheet with uh, four themes. Uh, we've got a theme of origins, identity, and agency. The second theme is power and oppression. Theme three is history of resistance and liberation. And theme four is reflection and action. Oh, uh, Will, what did, what did you think when you first read through this? What was your, your, your my, take? My first thought, because it was thrust under my nose by a visibly angry Mr. Herring was that we were going to get a bonus episode of What's the Res out of this, but my, my second thought when I was actually looking at it was, um, I mean, I, I assume it's the thoughts a lot of us had. Alexis mentioned she thought it was bizarre. Um, what jumped out at me first on the, on the first page was, um, under power and oppression, the definition of the theme is, power and oppression, as defined by ethnic studies, are the ways in which individuals and groups define mathematical knowledge so as to see Western mathematics as the only legitimate expression of mathematical identity and intelligence, it sounded to me like that um, was moving in a direction of questioning the foundations of math and the validity of math. Um, to, to my knowledge, uh, 
one of the things that attracts a lot of our students to math is, that, as Alexis was saying, is that it's black and white. It's it's something that is objective in a way that a lot of the other disciplines are. Is right that, or is wrong. Is that offensive to fishmongers? It's right or wrong. <laughs> but if we go with right or wrong, according to this, that is incorrect and oppressive too because it's one of the questions that is to be asked of the class, one of the course objectives is, how important is it to be right? What is right? Who is right? Says who? That was a direct reading from... <laughs> the, yeah, I, I had that highlighted a couple of places. They, uh, in the next yeah. column over, Alexis, from what you read about says who, is that who gets to say if an answer is right? Um, that struck me as interesting because that seems to be questioning the foundations not just of mathematics but of instruction. But I'm not even sure like where this is going. So if we are teaching students, right, like who is right, who is wrong, is math right, says who, does that mean if I go to the store and I want to buy something at 50% off, I can be like, no, it's really 70% off, says who, <laughs> who says? This shirt is $100, no, it's five. How do you know you're right? <laughs> Puts everything up for debate. Well, there was that student in the Wall Street Journal, the, uh, the article that you sent me earlier, who's uh, quoting um, George Orwell's 1984, two plus two equals five, right? So <laughs> I think that there's definitely something to that. And uh, the students will be able to identify how math has been uh, and continues to be used to oppress and marginalize people and communities of color. I think that goes along with uh, some other things I saw in terms of the proposal that was used to develop this framework and put it into place. Um, some of the language pulled from that includes uh, students will be able to identify the inherent inequities of the standardized testing system used to oppress and marginalize people of color, uh, as well as students will be able to explain how math dictates economic oppression. Now, Ethan and I are actually talking about this morning because I know y'all just did the standardized testing resolution for debate. That's right. Um, and we just found out that I believe it's the Compton Unified School District is suing the University, University of California uh, University System. Um, they're suing on the grounds that requiring standardized tests for admission is racist, right? right? Um, that it, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's intended to you know, just promote those who are already from affluent families and whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that I wanted to mention on this is that this doesn't allow any room for debate on that very subject, which, if I'm wrong, Ethan, you found a lot of conflicting evidence oh, there was on whether or not this is the case. So it's not students will be able to debate this, will not, not be able to use mathematics to actually come to a conclusion on whether or not this is actually leveraged against families, but rather it, it just has it as an assumption and works off of that. Yeah, and then there's two things I kind of see from that. First is my initial reaction to this paper was not as severe as it was after I got into reading it because the very first part of this document almost sounds like a history class proposal. Like you would put this into a history class. We're talking about the origins of mathematics and where it came from, who was involved. But then when you move down the list, it says, one of the points says students will be able to create counter narratives about the origins of mathematical knowledge. So I don't, as far as the origins of something like creating a counter narrative it's like if math was in or if this theorem was developed by this person i'm not sure how you're going to counter that story is one thing but yeah to what mr bonin was saying there's there was tons of conflicting evidence and it was interesting that the one card or piece of evidence in the debate that no one was willing to respond to was the race card that certain questions in the sat and act were racist no one really wanted to touch that i know mr herring you were telling me about one of your rounds that you judged at the tournament um that one person actually asked for an example 
of, a, oh, qu- yeah. of, a, of yeah, yeah. a question for black people or a question for white people, and they yeah, had the, no The answer, claim was right? that uh, the SAT has some questions that are clearly, that uses clearly white language in order to frame questions. Yeah. And the opponent then said, can you give me an example of a black question or a white question? And the person who made this argument could not provide an example. Which really harmed that argument. I mean, without being able to point to something very specific, it was really hard to weigh that argument and say, oh, here's why this makes sense without supporting evidence. So, I mean, this, this whole thing is kind of confusing because the proposal said one thing and then went on to do another thing. And it seems like the general themes were questionable as to why this framework is making it into a, mathematic, a mathematics course. But then the, the essential questions were what really surprised me. Now, I think it's – well, we, we need to get to those essential questions here in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot there. But under the definition of theme, I thought there was uh, one, one really interesting uh, linking of sentences there. Uh, we're told that math- <clears throat> mathematical theory and application is rooted in the ancient histories of people and empires of color. I have no objection so far. That sounds like it's perfectly yeah. plausible. Yeah. I'm not terribly well-versed in math history, but I can easily imagine. Uh, it's probably not a bunch of French people with blue eyes and blonde hair who came up with all the math concepts. It's the next sentence that bothers me. That It reads, uh, all human endeavors, including mathematical thinking, from humanities to the arts to the sciences. And I'm not entirely sure what to make of that, but I think what this is trying to get at is that a lot of the work that's happened in humanities disciplines over the last 50 or so years to really trace different oppression narratives is now being linked to say, because we can show that in all of these novels there's post-colonialist impulses and so on, that therefore we can see that the same kinds of oppression is happening in math. And what I'm missing here is any kind of justification for that. Does that, does that seem like a fair reading of those two sentences, or yeah. do y'all see something else happening there? I mean, I, I think I agree in principle, but what sort of justification... I mean, given what the form is, this is a framework, right? Right, right. It seems like this is uh, probably the result of a lot of thinking that they've put on a paper, and they're not necessarily showing their work. So, excuse me, <laughs> I'm definitely bring it back here. Yeah, they, it, it seems like this is really the results of their findings. This is not this is not them going through and giving you all that evidence. So, so it's quite possible that they have some really good uh, good support for it, and this is just isn't the place to include it. I guess that's that's I guess that's possible. Uh, I guess what I would like to know is who put this together. Because I find it very hard to believe that actual math teachers who are in the trenches day in and day out with their students, seeing how they're struggling in math or how they're succeeding in math, actually sat down and said, let's incorporate this into our class because we just have so much spare time that we can now (laughs) incorporate this additional set of standards into our curriculum. I think it's interesting to note that it, I'm almost asking the question, what exactly, what part of math is the problem here? Is it the concepts that are being taught? Is it the way that they're taught? Is it the way that math has been brought from the West and kind of permeated society in this way that causes a ton of social inequities? And I think when you look at the essential questions on the next page, or on page two of the document, we'll link it in the show notes too, that it seems like almost all of that is sort of fitting under that umbrella and that the literal objective laws of math, like how you solve math problems, is actually being questioned. Like there's this one question under what does it mean to do math that says how do we derive mathematical truth? And there's another one that says why slash how does data-driven processes prevent Ms. liberation? Roberts, if you're here, please call the front office. Ms. Roberts, call the front office. So it seems like the attack is being framed, or not attack, this frame, I'm not even going to say attack yet. We'll get into all that debate in a second. But that this framework 
is intending to refute different parts of teaching math and understanding math and sort of encompass a different type of mindset in the classroom. And that's multifaceted and not just attacked at one part, which is, which is interesting to me. I think that's very interesting. It's, it's, very, it's very tricky to kind of figure that part out because there, there seems to be an awful lot, there seems to be an assumption here that there is a problem and that making these changes to set up math to be regularly asking these sorts of questions will somehow solve an existing problem. Right. I think part of this may have to do with a very different understanding of what exactly math is. I know, Will, you mentioned a few minutes ago that part of what you appreciate about math is its objective nature. It's right or it's wrong. It's white or it's black. It's red or it's yellow. It's done. It's, it's, you get a 100 or you get an 80. You failed or you passed. There's not much wiggle room there. Now, is, is, so maybe we take just a moment. What, what exactly is math? I mean, why, why, do we, why do we study math? I mean, we all studied math to one level or another along the way. And, I mean, you've gone on to teach it, Alexis. So what, what exactly is math? But math is absolutely necessary for every part of your life. I mean, whether you are paying your bills, managing your finances, purchasing a car, going grocery shopping, cooking. Whatever it is that you're doing, you need mathematics. So why we are focusing on this, I'm just not sure. I mean, I got nothing else. I think this is a really <laughs> interesting question for the economics teacher. Oh, that's true. Yeah. In terms of what is mathematics? Like, why is it important? Why is it important? I mean, I think, I mean, it, it's about quantity. It's about changes to those quantities. Um, it's about, I mean, mathematics today, especially in the study of economics, I mean, you're really looking about, you're, you're examining trends, you're examining correlations between variables. Um, math has many different, in, in my opinion, I mean, of course, everybody needs basic numeracy, right? All the way up to anybody who works in research who needs to be able to understand methodology and how you can actually use math to I, both identify a problem perhaps identify what's causing that problem and maybe therefore be able to hypothesize solutions to that problem. And I think when I looked at this, this is, the way that they're approaching it is not, it seems like looking at some of the questions, it's more so framing the math to demonstrate what they believe to be some perceived social truth. So for instance, it seems like um, a level of word problems. So that instead of you just go ahead and calculating some statistic set, you're going to be looking at a statistic set that's examining incarceration rates in connection with the war on drugs and how that's uh, disproportionately affected uh, communities of color, right? And so they're, they're still doing the math, but they're framing it in such a way that you're tr they're trying to give you this social truth. And that's where I think it really does become problematic because you're, you're, you're not really giving students the opportunity to come to a conclusion, right? There's a time and a place for that, but you're just sort of using what they need to do for the test to force a conclusion upon them. I don't know, actually. I, I kind of, I think um, bringing in more different uh, topics for word problems could actually be a good thing. I think everybody got tired of Johnny has 12 apples and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, believe me. Right, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Having a word problem, and I think they've made attempts in recent textbooks to try and make, not that it makes a difference to students as far as I know, but um, they've been making an effort to try and make the word problems you know, deal with more varied topics and, and give you more. So, so if they're doing incarceration rates, I don't actually see a problem with no, that. There's, there's no, there's, 
I agree. I agree on that point. There is no problem with that. I guess what I'm, I'm thinking is that if they're starting to slip in like policy solutions along with that, sort of foisting these upon students, I think that's where the problem comes. Because I think, I mean, anybody who knows me, anybody who's read anything I've done knows that I, I agree on that statement that, yeah, absolutely, war on drugs has disproportionately affected marginalized communities, right? It's an issue. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the, the avenue by which this might seek to see, have students see which way to go in terms of solving that problem would be very different than what I would say. See, would, that's interesting because what, what, I, what I got about what math is and what yes. this has to do, what this proposal has to do with math, um, math just, you know, as an oversimplified definition, it's, it's quantitative reasoning. It's seeing the world, seeing what can be quantified and becoming better able to quantify it. Um, and I got the sense that, as we said, math, a lot of us, what we like is the objectivity of math. I got the sense that that is a source of discomfort to whoever wrote this document. It's a source of discomfort that there's such a thing as objectivity. Yeah. Um, and so anything that holds out as a bastion of objectivity, we've, we've removed it from the literary canon, we've removed it from history for right. sure, um, but anything that, stand, that seems to set itself apart the way math does and say this is where things are objective is kind of next for the... The, it's next for the reaping, kind of, for these that's, people. That's really interesting. I think in part that, that sounds a lot like what I was reading this last week. That a class I'm taking assigned me to read a book by a guy named John of Salisbury called The Metalogicon, yeah. where uh, this 11th century monk wrote a book mostly about logic, but in order to write about logic, he also wrote about all the liberal arts. And in a section on mathematics, he describes math as basically, he talks about quantitative reasoning, he draws on some of Plato to talk about Math is really the art of the odd and the even. Uh, it's, it's kind of basic numerical stuff that he's talking about. But he builds to this conclusion that when you look at math, you are looking at reasoning about the fundamental nature of reality. When we're talking about that quantitative reasoning, we're not talking about, do you feel like there are two chairs or 12 chairs? No, the question is, are there two chairs, or are there 12 chairs, and what do we? what is if we add them together? So we are fundamentally looking at objective reality and ways of measuring that objective reality. I think that's an interesting point, because the I think the, one of the essential questions about this document is, it's what is math versus what math has done, or what has math done? Right, and right. at the beginning of the document, and all of, or I guess I can say the upper half, because it's formatted kind of weird, but the themes seem to talk about what math has done to people and how it's marginalized people and prevented um, liberation in different areas. But when you look at the essential questions, it tells a different story. It says, how important is it to be right? Who's right? I mean, other things that relate more to the first half than, than different ones, like, I mean, who is smart, who is not smart. So it seems like this is framed. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that really is. And Who is not smart? Exactly. And I could just imagine posing that question in any classroom, right? All of a sudden, students are going to point, are going to point, <laughs> Johnny is smart. Susie is not smart. And it's going to, it's completely missing the mark on what yeah. ever the objective is that day in the class. Could but you imagine asking the question, who as a teacher asking students to think about who holds power in a mathematical classroom. <laughs> are you going, My students are pretty smart. They're going to realize, wow, Mr. Herring, you hold the power of the grade. You are unjust. How dare you give me a 60 for my grade? I mean, they're, 
that's going to really erode my ability to actually. So you think some people are going to take this and run with it, or students are going to take this and run with it if they have that that kind of power in the class? Maybe the students in Seattle are better people. My students would take this and run with it for as far as they could. I think I think your students in literature would, would, but I think I've had friends who are really good at math who I think some part of them is really thrilled that you know the teacher grades them. The teacher has all sorts of power over their their behavior, as we say in education, (laughs) Um, but. The teacher can't make two plus two equal five mm-hmm. any more than Oceania can. The, the right, teacher right. has no power over these right. objective things, and the kids love that because kids who are this is something where real talent can can be exhibited really early on. And there are a lot of kids who have a more natural talent for math than some of their math teachers, and they're thrilled. I think I think that could answer one of their questions about how can math be used to liberate, right? When has math been used historically? <laughs> this is something that that you can be the biggest baddest tyrant in the world, and you cannot change these these laws of math. Oh yeah, and it, it really I mean there's 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 truth in that and that there's uh, I mean I don't know how many times students have found math mistakes that I've made on their assessments and they come and they show me, oh you marked ten points off of this, but everywhere else this question's worth five. I'm like, oh you're right, here's five points back. And it is the only time they can call you out and be right about it. <laughs> well and it's also not a it's there's nothing personal involved right. in that. Well when numbers they tell me don't the, have feelings. Ah, Oh, they wow. Don't. That sounds like a Jordan Peterson quote. <laughs> <laughs> which is like. Numbers don't have feelings, which is one of the things I love about it. But math. is that not concerning that this document is framed as we're going to look at what math has done to oppress people, but then it goes into like questions like how important is it to be right? What is right? Is not going into what math has math done to people, it's going into like the truthful nature of math. So it's framed differently than it actually asks well, questions towards. Even just to take a literary approach to this document for a moment, what you do get with that is a sort of, I mean, that, that's a personification of a discipline. Disciplines do not do things to people. Right. People do things to people. So at the point so where we... Is, an NRA website. <laughs> <laughs> at the point where math is doing things to people, we're really allowing the mathematicians... So even if we give this document the biggest possible benefit of the doubt and say, you know, I'm sure there are people somewhere who have used numbers to justify racism. I'm sure that's yeah, happened. Yeah, phrenology, that was a thing. Oh, oh <laughs> my goodness, yeah. yes. Yeah. What, what, define that for our audience that may have missed that I lovely think it's, negative it's, uh, Isn't it measuring people's crania to determine the likelihood no, of their criminality no, and things yeah, like yeah. that? Yeah, based on like that bump on your head, yeah, you're right. clearly good, an axe murderer. Is it phrenology? Right. Yeah, phrenology. Okay. Yeah, it was a crazy pseudoscience in the early 20th century, but... And I mean, and there are, yeah, and there's definitely examples of where numbers have used, I mean, objective numbers, but they're still used for nefarious purposes, like the courts have always ruled against, uh, in the past, redlining, right? Because they showed that the numbers were just consistent upon race and race only, and that is an issue. So that aspect of it, I really do see. I did want to read this quote from, I just found before coming in here, from Robert Berry III. He's a UVA professor. Uh, He's the uh, president of the National Council of Teachers of mathematics, and this is what he says in regards to this framework. What Seattle is doing follows the line of work we hope we can move forward as we think about the history of math and who contributes to that, and also about deepening students, underlying portion, connection with identity. So that to me really seems the root of what they're trying to get at, is really bringing identity into um, for lack of a better term, the formula. So, <laughs> um, and, and, and with that, I mean, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I was just, I, before we all pile on though, like, could we go with them halfway? I, I feel like I was, I was highlighting some of these things that I, I do actually think a math curriculum could benefit with. I don't think 
you know, to the exclusion of learning the actual math, but, you know, <laughs> identifying ancient mathematicians and their contributions to mathematics, origins, history, um, a lot of the things I think uh, a math class could benefit from. I, I love that in science you kind of learn, as you learn the gas laws, you learn how they were discovered and right. who came sure. up with them. Right. I'd love a little more of that in math. I'd love to know more and about And that can be incorporated. Yeah, we have that here. Yeah, like we, right, we in, do. In chemistry class, we learn about Avogadro's number, which is literally essential to like learning what how moles convert to particles. And then I know in calculus, we just went over Rolle's theorem and the MVT and all these things, which... She would tell us a little bit about Rolls, who's basically just some guy that took credit for making the MVT into something that has a horizontal tangent line. But it was still fun to learn the history of it. I see no problem with that. And it, it would be great to know if Rolls, you know, stole it from a from a Near Eastern mathematician or something. Sure. And I, I would love to know who that oh, yeah, person is. Yeah. A lot. Of, I mean, all those words, algebra, chemistry, those are all Arabic words. It would be really yeah, interesting I, to know how that came into. Right. I remember my first year teaching. Um, I had a problem with a group of students who. This is back in uh, 2012, 2013. I had a group of students that are no longer, they're, they're, they're gradu long graduated at this point. Uh, but at that point, they were convinced that anytime you hit the words Muslim or Islam, uh, they would just kind of mentally substitute the word terrorist. And they had done that multiple times in my history class as we're studying 8th through 10th century Islamic oh, empires. That's not good. Yeah. No, it's not good at all. And so I was racking my brain like, okay, I've got to figure this out. How do I help them realize that they can't just throw everything under the bus because there were a few radicals who in 2001 did this horrible thing? Well, and that's when I started digging. And my, I, I did not know this. I'd missed this along the way. I was like, oh. We have algebra and all of the architectural things that are possible once you have better control of graphs and curves through algebra. We have that because of this Arabic philosopher, mathematician, and, um, oh crud, I'm blanking on the name of um, the, the capital city of the, um, not the Ottoman Empire, it's the one before that, but, the, uh, but this massive place that, like, there's, there's huge bits of Arabic history wrapped up in there. I didn't know that. I, I think there could be a huge benefit to incorporating more of that with the caveat that it cannot replace math. And I at least am leery of overcomplicating already very complex portions of a standard curriculum. I agree. Um, I think our jobs as educators are to best equip students to move forward beyond their classroom. And in looking at um, the Program for International Student Assessment data, which is an international test that about um, 70, 71 countries participate in every couple of years. It's about 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds that take this test. The U.S. ranks 38th on that list. In 2015, we came in 38th place, which means we have a problem in our math <laughs> instruction to begin with and how this is going to fix that gap I'm not sure. I am not sure how, when do I know or feel like a mathematician is going to get us up the rank. We are, we should be number one on that list. And we are 38. If it's all subjective, then we could just make ourselves <laughs> right. You know? It's like, 38 doesn't We're 38, but we feel number one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. So that's an American problem. But, I, think, but I really think that it is our job as teachers to say, all right, I don't know whose agenda this was on and whose agenda this is feeding. This is great, but we are going to really teach our kids math. Right, right. And, and no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And also with Will sort of redirecting previously, there has been, and I don't know the numbers, 
Um, I do know numbers, not these numbers, but you know. <laughs> um, so there, there's, there is research that demonstrates that when students see themselves in the classroom, right, through the curriculum, especially minority students, that they're more likely to attend class, attendance numbers go up. Um, I don't know by what percentage, but I do know that, that they go up. They tend to have higher GPAs and higher test scores. So when they see themselves in the curriculum, and again, this is in places where you know, we're, we're talking about uh, inner cities in, in California and whatnot. When they're part of the curriculum, they're more likely to go. When they're more likely to go, they're more likely to sit down and do better. And that is an important objective. But how that's achieved is really... But don't you think here. that's also the case when they feel like their teachers believe in them? They feel like the right. system is empowering them. Right. They don't feel like they're sitting there being told, how are you oppressed? How is this oppressing yeah, you? How is this holding you back? How is math... And the way it's been taught, not letting you get... Right. And I think Mr. Vaughn's language is interesting there because you want students to be able to see themselves. But one of the questions on this sheet is how such why do mathematical processes demand collective thinking? Right. So we're talking about, you know, like collective thinking and we're, we're trying to focus on the individual here. But making this view or at least establishing this view of injustice in the classroom there's no way that we're going to be able to focus on the individual or the teachers to help facilitate the learning of an individual. No? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a very interesting, there's a, uh, the questions are fascinating and there is a ton of rhetoric packed into what these questions are implying. Like even just in that one, asking students to consider how slash why do mathematical processes demand collective thinking it's sort of implying that collective thinking is a bad mm -hmm. and learning the same processes that everyone else learns uh, is collective and therefore bad. Yeah. So learning to apply a common theorem like the Pythagorean theorem or something that everyone has learned time out of mind uh, since Euclid figured or no, since Pythagoras figured that one out. Uh, learning that is somehow participant collective and it implies that you should kind of chart your own Oh, I, I read it the opposite way. I thought it was in favor of collective. Uh, so I did I, was, but now that I read it again. Everybody should so. be, no, look at the next question down there. It says, how can we change mathematics from individualistic to collectivist uh, thinking? Like, uh, when, oh. when, when Ethan gets a question right, the whole class is right, because they've all participated in Ethan getting this oh, right. That's what I thought right. it was. My mathematician yeah. power level just... Like, <laughs> <laughs> See, and there's, other, awesome. there's also questions on here that I just don't get. Like, how... Or can you advocate against oppressive mathematical practices. I don't even know what that means. All right. Here's well, another one. What is your mathematical identity? Ms. I'm really not sure. Really? I'm feeling like a hyperbola today. I'm kind of confusing. Like, I don't know. I'm Can up I and down. You know? yeah. I'm hungry for a tourist shape. <laughs> but I'm really, I, I don't even, as a teacher, I don't even know what that means. So I wouldn't know how to present that. I'm reminded of another uh, medieval liberal arts guy who wrote about, had some great, what I thought was great teaching advice. He, uh, and uh, he suggested, uh, this one is Hugh of St. Victor in his book, The Didascalion. I don't know, you should have gotten your PhD at, at my school. You would have read all these books <laughs> instead of going to Chapel Hill. But you're, uh, the degree you don't like is probably worth more in academic credibility than mine will be. Not after this podcast. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to send us any hate mail about this, we'll give you our email address. Okay, the point I was trying to get at, though, is that Hugh of St. Victor has this great bit where he gives some really, I thought, sound teaching advice. And he talked about the difference between a student going to a book and just reading for himself. That's really the goal that we want to get students to. 
None of us as educators are claiming to be the be-all and end-all of our subjects for our students. Mm -hmm. But it's our hope that after taking our classes of all of our subjects, that they are prepared to go encounter a new book in the field and tackle it and study it and assimilate it and, and move on and evaluate it. But when you're thinking about teaching a class, Hugh talks about how really the teacher's job is to boil things down to as simple an outline as possible and help students to see the whole that is trying to be presented there. And so where that ties into this is he talks about how it's really important the best teachers eliminate the distractions in the subject. Uh, literature has lots of possible distractions, and I want to be the first to admit I love chasing certain rabbit trails, and sometimes I spend too much time on those rabbit trails. Uh, but if I want students to understand the whole book, I need to try and avoid that. And I think, even if we do the best we can and give this document the benefit of the doubt, it seems to fill math class with lots of distractions to me. Where I, I think I would, if I took a math class that was executed under this framework, I might be really good by the end of explaining how math has been used to harm people of a certain ethnicity. I'm probably not going to be very good at geometry. Well, and I'm I think it's, right. And on that, I think it's important to bring awareness to social justice issues and racism and all of those topics. But bringing awareness to it is one thing. But I don't think that math is the place mm. for that. Math needs to. I don't think math needs to be centered around it. I think that yeah. a, a solid foundation of knowledge in mathematics could help uh, or equip a student to address those issues better, don't you think? I but agree. you still need to start with that general foundation. It's like it's like this document saying that we share nothing in common as human beings. Like, and there's no there's no objective truth, literally anywhere. Like like point. mathematics is different for everyone. Like what else now? Like what else is different? I'm so proud of you. Yeah, but I mean, you're absolutely right. You're totally right. And I think that's, that's the thing with a lot of this. I mean, again, there's a lot of this I do agree with yeah, in yeah. sort of in principle, but I, I think a lot of the, the agenda that comes through the more of these questions you get um, on, on the spreadsheet, I think the, the agenda is, as you're saying, it's, it's designed to look very carefully at everything that divides people, as you say, and, you know, and <laughs> things I could like just, math that are true for And I could just everybody. see a classroom, a very diverse classroom, turning into a debate class every day over mm -hmm. these topics. When instead, by all means, if students want to uh, take these kinds of issues, Here these literally go. are the things we debate all day, right. every day in right. debate class. Yeah. Uh, I think this week we were talking about a Kantian environmentalist Kantian framework versus an eco-feminist approach. Like, these are, we're, we're not trying to say that these ideas are somehow off the table and aren't worth discussing. No, they, they're absolutely not. And it's important to talk about them, but I just don't think it needs to be incorporated into the math standards. You know, speaking of eco-feminism, did y'all see, this was maybe two or three years ago, this is actually Jermaine, a couple years ago there was a, an abstract for a paper that I think got accepted that was, it was called Toward a Feminist Glaciology. Glaciology. So people who are studying glaciers, but these people are proposing to move the field in a feminist direction. And I don't know any more about it than what I've just told you. Honestly, <laughs> what does that even mean? People were at the funeral for a glacier in, in northern Sweden. No, I missed this one. There, there was a funeral for a glacier. Apparently there's a glacier that has retreated about 200 feet because of climate yeah. change. And so there was a group. Of, there's two of these that I've seen so far. One was in Iceland. The other was in, I think, Sweden. It might have been Norway. Uh, but they literally held a funeral for the death of the glacier. Yeah, they watch the whole thing melt, like just the last drop comes <laughs> Slowly. off. Slowly. Well, I don't think the whole thing is gone. It's just that the, the glacier has retreated a lot faster than it has in previous years. So it was, yeah, 
I didn't know if they were perhaps there, but let's, let's with that, I'm keeping an eye on our time. I know I promised we'd be out of here roughly two minutes ago. So uh, with that, uh, are any final thoughts on this document, math, anything we've talked about, anything that just hasn't come up yet that you'd like to get out before we close out the episode? I don't, but I'm really interested to see where this goes and to see what states maybe follow or, yeah, or don't. Oh, and Seattle is a very large city. I know it's not quite as large as New York City or Los Angeles, but it is another one of the global cities that we have in the United right. States. So where it goes, I suspect, would be indicative of where other school systems are probably going to follow. I think it'll be really interesting. Again, I'm going off of the, the, the proposal statement of the fact that this framework will allow students to explain how math dictates economic oppression. And I think... And I just had to verify the statement as being correct, but you know, Mark Twain said that there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. And <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that what, what becomes a problem is that when when a certain methodology of how to approach a problem is assumed, and that's what's being used for an end product, it's teaching students that we can all again, and I say this to students all the time. I know Ethan's heard me say that all the time. That you know, guess what? We're a lot more like in this world and in this country than we think we are. We can yeah. definitely point to particular problems that affect all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And the numbers demonstrate that a problem exists. But the policy solution to how we fix those problems is where we may differ because a lot of times, and this is not me, this is Soul who says this, right? Policies are usually judged by what they attempt to achieve, not their consequences. And that's the only thing that I want to avoid seeing happen in one of these is that we're judging the way to rectify a situation by what we want to achieve, not necessarily the incentives that we're creating that might achieve something completely different that actually exacerbates the problems problem. that affect all of us, like math problems. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good point. I, I'm coming obviously from a discipline where long ago we kind of sold off any claim to objective truth. Um, and I, but you say things aren't measured by their effects. I, that's clearly true because if you look at those fields, there's a lot of concern that the humanities are dying, students aren't going into them, um, they're not seen as, as useful. And I wonder if, if the social justice movement coming for math is going to be kind of a last straw for a lot of people where they finally say, no, 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 this is, not, this is not how this works. There is such a thing as objectivity. Here's where we all agree it still resides. Um, and I wonder if this maybe will be kind of the... The, the first defeat <laughs> for the social justice movement. I don't know. Be, that would be exciting. It's going to be interesting to see. I wonder if they're doing Common Core as well. Like, is this going to be in addition I, to Common so Core? Was, and that's going to be... Because that's complex as it is. So, Tyler sent me an article last night from uh, the Hoover Institute. Yeah, Stanford. Yep. Stanford's uh, Hoover Institute that was... Uh, in it, it had buried in there a little bit of the history of California's math curriculum, of all things. Mm -hmm. And so apparently they used to have a top-tier math program that was designed by Stanford mathematicians. And they replaced that with Common Core. And since then, their math scores as a state have plummeted. You don't say. Uh, <laughs> so we, we would need a whole different round table to uh, be a group of Is faculty that the roasting... Next Ro bonus roasting episode. Core. Another bonus episode. Uh, we might need, if we do too many of these, we'd really need a whole separate podcast for teachers on education or something like that. But it's, uh, it really, I, I think there's, there's something to that where, I, and I think, Will, I think you were onto something that, though I, I'm afraid I'm probably a bit more pessimistic than you are about this. I suspect that 
Uh, I would love to have the rea that be the reaction where most people look at and say, no, this is the place for objective measurement. The number line is stretched, the result is clear, I can see it, I can measure it, I know the answer. I just am not quite sure there's that much confidence in objective reality to still for enough people to actually have that response. And so, but I suspect what if this does go through and if this becomes the mainstream thing, uh, we're going to see the same thing that happens in the humanities sort of in reverse, where in literary study, the academy was the first one to reject objective reality in reading, and that's now trickled down to the school to K-12. If this goes into effect in K-12, what you're going to have are students who are going for math degrees and eventually math PhDs and be the leaders 30 or 40 years from now in mathematics who reject the objective reality of mathematics. And that would become the death knell for math, math studies just like it is in the humanities today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, I really don't want us to end on, a, on that bummer of a note. Does anybody have one more math pun or anything you want to get at? That was just a terrible ending. <laughs> No. Okay, no, we're gonna land, we're gonna end on we're just gonna land the plane there on uh, on that bummer of a depressing note. Thank you for joining us today on uh, this first faculty roundtable discussion that we're hosting here on What's the Res. Uh, if you want to send us any feedback about the episode, we would love to get uh, emails that are excited about this episode. We will take your flames. Though, if you do want to flame us. Please do flame us in emails. Please don't just be that person to go to Apple Podcasts and flood us with one-star ratings. Instead, leave us a five-star rating. And uh, tell, tell other people to check out our podcast. That's the best way to help other people know what this is. Ethan, how else can people get in touch with us? Yeah, if you want to send us emails, feel free to do so at whatstheres at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. You can follow our Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstheres underscore. Or check out our website, which has a link to our premium content at www.whatstheres.com. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.